Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. I tell you, that office floor was the anointing, like the anointed place. Like, man, you, you would walk in there and I was, I was, you know, 16 years old. You know, I had been a complete heathen like total heathen, religious, lost as can be. But I remember walking to that office and, you know, I've got brown eyes, nothing against people with brown eyes. You know, brown eyes are, are, are beautiful. They're very pretty. But you guys know Pastor Hunter's eyes are like that bright blue. Beautiful eyes, right? I mean, not in a weird way, but they're pretty eyes, you know? <laughs> Until they stare you down and then you feel the conviction of the Lord come upon you. And I tell you, that place was anointed. But I'm so grateful that I encountered Jesus that day. I'm so grateful that he cared enough about this religious punk that he would meet me in that office and he wouldn't let me stay the same. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but we need to remember something. Are you ready? You're ready to engage your memory today? All right, all right. So Pastor Hunter said it. This year's theme is multiply, right? So there has been a theme phrase that we have said every week since we started this, all right? So I'm going to have the media team throw it up, and then we're going to all, I want you guys to say this with me, okay? We're going to say this together. Are you ready, Encounter Church? All right. So our theme verse, not verse, uh, phrase might be coming up. We can actually do it without it. You guys think you can do it? All right, so we're going to do it without it. Our theme phrase is to multiply the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus. Let's do it one more time. Are you ready? Multiply the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus. Give yourselves a hand. Good job, everyone. Good job. Good job. And you know, we've had a theme scripture I love this scripture. It's so powerful. It says, and the word of God spread. <laughs> Say it again, Chandra. Say it again. And the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Let's say that one together. Are you ready? And the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Acts 6, 7. Hey, give yourselves another hand. Great job, everyone. Great job. You know, this series this year has just, I don't know about you, but it has transformed my life. This, you know, this series about multiply, the importance of multiplication, but not just the importance of multiplication. Like this series, that book, Multiply by Pastor John Bevere, has transformed my theology. It's transformed my outlook on discipleship. You know, because sometimes I think we look, at, we look at multiplication and it's like, oh, that's an extra bonus for really good Christians. But if you've been at any of these, uh, the Multiplied Discipleship on Wednesdays, or if you've read the book, you understand. Mm -hmm. Multiplication is not a calling for special Christians. You know, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't ascend to heaven and he didn't, the last thing he told his disciples was not, pastors, go therefore and preach and make disciples of all nations. My Bible says that he was talking to all of his disciples and he said, go therefore and make disciples. So if you're at any disciples of Jesus in here today, you are called to make disciples. I am called to make disciples. We are multiplying disciple makers. Multiplication is a necessity. It's not a bonus. And you know, I love it because each of our callings in every area and facet of our life, we're called to multiply. You know, if you own a business, God has called you to multiply your business. If you're in healthcare, God has called you to be the very best healthcare provider that you can be, to multiply your skills and help people. If you're in education, God has called you to, to multiply knowledge and, and the fear of the Lord into, into children, into this new next generation. You know, God wants us to multiply in those areas of our lives but he also wants us to multiply disciples. You know, sometimes we think of one or the other, but Jesus doesn't just want your church life and my church life. 
He wants my whole life. And multiplication is a necessity. But I want to give you a reality check today that God, oh man, he checked me so hard this week. Are you ready for a reality check in Counter Church? How about you just, let's buckle our seatbelts, all right? Because the word of God, man, he, he came for me this week, all right? Let's buckle our seatbelts. We need a reality check. You know, we hear multiplication and we're called to multiply and it's exciting. And yes, praise God, you are called to multiply. God wants to use you in an amazing, incredible, specific way in every area of your life. God wants to use you. But reality check in counter church, only real disciples multiply. Let me say that again. Only real disciples multiply. I can pretend to be a disciple. You, you can put on a front. You can put on the church face. I can put on my church face and, and show you this is my multiplying Caleb. Wow. Look at me. But you guys know, just as I know, God sees straight through that. We can put on a front in a show and we might be able to deceive people, but I can never deceive God. Only real disciples multiply. I want to tell you guys about the biggest faker, the most religious person I know. Are you ready? You guys are starting to look around like, who's he calling out? Who's getting rebuked? No. Do you want to, you want to know about the biggest faker I know? Okay. All right. The biggest faker that I have ever met in my whole life is me. My dad is a pastor. Was. He retired. He still loves Jesus. <laughs> my dad was, was in ministry. I grew up in the church. Many of you know my story. I grew up learning the scriptures. I grew up feeling the call of God on my life to preach. And I ran away from that like Jonah and I got eaten by a whale I did not actually but you know I was the biggest faker you would ever know I would go to church on Sunday and put on a show that I was the perfect preacher's kid but like many pastor's kids if there's any PKs out there I was the most lost and religious heathen there was And God saw straight through it. So the title of my message today is All or Nothing. Can you say that with me? All or Nothing. All or Nothing. And you know, we're going to take a look at two stories today that God spoke to me through in my Bible reading this week. And, and one of these stories is where people surrendered all to God. And God multiplied it. And the other story, though, is where they only surrendered part. They only surrendered part, and they were left with nothing. All or nothing. How about you turn to somebody next to you just, and, and tell them, all or nothing. Turn to somebody else next to you and tell them, all or nothing. Encounter Church, God doesn't want us to be fakers. Amen? He doesn't want religious people. He wants your all and my all. Or we get nothing. So first scripture we're looking at is out of Mark chapter 6. And this is a very familiar passage for many of us. This is the, the story of Jesus multiplying uh, the bread and the fish and feeding 5,000. It's, it's a very familiar story. It's a powerful uh, passage. Jesus, I mean, he wrapped up so much truth in like every verse, you could preach 10 different messages on every verse that Jesus spoke and there would, it would still not be exhaustive, right? But there was a very simple revelation that God spoke to me as I was, you know, doing my Bible reading last week. And, uh, and I hope it speaks to you today. Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. And I'm coming out of the New Living Translation. You can follow along on the screen if you'd like. Also, there is a digital bulletin in the Bible app. You can follow along there. Um, or also, there are some preaching outlines in the back, and you can follow along there. Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done 
and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Let me pause there. Um, so preface this, what was going on? The dis- Jesus had gathered 72 of his disciples. He said, all right, guys, let's everyone come together. And then he imparted on them the same authority that he had. He sent them out in, in groups of two to different towns. And he said, you know, you have the power to preach the gospel, to announce the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And then he sent them. And then so the disciples go on this huge ministry tour and God is healing people and people are getting saved and it's this incredible thing that's happening. The disciples come back to Jesus after this tour and they're so excited, like, man, Jesus, like, it actually works. Like this gospel thing actually changes lives and and it happened through me. How awesome is this? And so Jesus is so ecstatic. He's like, all right, guys, let's, let's take a little vacation. You know, it's tiring when you preach the gospel and you heal sick and you cast out demons. It, it, it can be exhausting. And those of you that have done it, you understand. And those of you that haven't, will do it after this week. Praise God. But it's tiring. And so the disciples come back and Jesus says, okay, guys, I'm so proud of you. Let's take a vacation. Anyone ready for a vacation out there? Amen. Me too. Me too. And so Jesus, you know, he says this. And so we continue. So let's go to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Any parents with toddlers out there, you can testify to that verse. Sometimes you can't even eat. They need so much. Help us, Jesus. Jesus. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. The story is gearing up nicely, right? These guys are going to go with Jesus. They even take a nice little ferry boat ride. They're going to be all, you know, it's going to be a very restful weekend. Hallelujah. Verse 33. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had what? He had what? He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I want you for a second, imagine how the disciples felt. They had been promised their nice vacation. Their Airbnb was already set up. Their Uber Eats was on, on, on point. They were about to pr- press that order and have it hand delivered to their Airbnb and then a huge crowd of people, this, literally. It's like if you finish church on Sunday last week at Easter, powerful service, you, tr- you go home to take a nice nap, and then all the same people that were here are outside of your house when you get home. <laughs> I have to admit, I probably wouldn't be like Jesus in that moment. There wouldn't be much compassion. I'd be like, guys, it's nap time, all right? <laughs> I'll see y'all next week, or better yet, Wednesday night at Prayer and Discipleship, 7 o'clock, be there. Shameless plug. And so Jesus begins to teach them many things. So late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. I I could just hear their tone here. They're like, okay, Jesus, I know you're the son of God and all, but man, you promised me a vacation. You promised me rest. And here we are with these people again. Jesus, just just send them away, please. Nearby town, let them eat so we can do our thing, Jesus. Remember, vacation. But Jesus says, you feed them. What? With what? It's like insult, adding insult to injury. With what? They asked And all the pragmatic people are like, wait, what? How do we do this? How do we pay for this? And that's what they began to do. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. And I love this. Jesus says, how much bread do you have? He asked. And I imagine the disciples were like, looking in their tunics, like, hey, you know, 
And then he says, go and find out. So I imagine the disciples run along. They're scurrying around trying to find out. And so they come back and they report. We have, and I want you to do this with me, we have five loaves of bread. We have five loaves of bread and two fish. All right, we'll do that one more time. We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down on the groups of 50 or about 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, can you say afterward? Afterward. The disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. How many baskets? And how many disciples? Praise God. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. And if their families, if their kids eat like my son does, that was a lot of multiplication that Jesus had to do. There was leftover food. Oh, my notes disappeared. I was reading this in my Bible reading last week or two weeks ago. And uh, the Holy Spirit just made me look at five loaves of bread, two fish, right? I had always looked at that, and I thought of them as separate, five loaves and two fish. I don't know about you guys. I sometimes am mathematically challenged, and so I need to visualize this. So I think I asked the the media team to have this slide up. It's a simple mathematical computation, and uh, it's simple for me, okay? All right, so five plus two equals? Just make sure I didn't get my math wrong. (laughs) Leading you into heresy. No. Five loaves of fish, er, loaves of bread, and two fish. Five plus two equals? Seven. And in the Bible, seven is the biblical number for completion or perfection. We even, Pastor Hunter even read it in the, in the scripture from Revelation. Seven trumpets, seven angels, seven lampstands, you know, and, and it goes on. Seven days in a week, God created six days, rested the seventh day. Perfection is in his completion. You know, seven is the biblical number of completion. And I remember seeing this and it was like, it just blew my mind. Guys, the disciples gave Jesus all that they had. I, and I can imagine, I don't know about you, but I imagine this might have been what I would have done. And this is where the Lord had to lead me in some repentance. We had just been reading about how the disciples were a little exasperated by this crowd yet again following us. I had my promised vacation with Jesus which is canceled because these needy people keep following him around. We can't get a break. Jesus had to be moved with compassion, you know, even though he promised this for me. I can imagine, you know, what might have happened if the disciples, you know, they might have, they might have gone out. Jesus said, go find out what you've got. You know, and Simon and Andrew come and, and the sons of thunder, James and, and uh, John come over and they're like, okay, how many, five loaves, okay, two fish. Jesus hasn't looked yet. Okay, look over. Keep watch. Man, I'm starving. We expected a vacation. We were waiting for our Uber Eats, but now we have to feed them, the needy crowd? Okay, Simon, pass me a loaf. I'll put it in my tunic. And Andrew, just keep a, keep a fish there. I mean, Jesus isn't going to know. It's just four loaves and one fish. What's the big deal? Let me keep some for me, and, and we'll split it at the end. We'll have a little snack and, and nobody will notice. Because after all, we went out and preached the gospel. We healed the sick. We proclaimed the kingdom. Don't we deserve a snack at least, Jesus? Man, how easily I fall into that kind of false thinking. How easily... I start to think that I deserve it. 
because of all that I do. But I love that that's not what the disciples did. What did they do? They gave five loaves and two fish to the master. And when, when, in, when they gave all that they had to the master, they put all that they had in the master's hands. What happened? In the master's hands, thousands got fed and there were 12 baskets of leftovers. In, in counter church, my family, my friends, if the disciples had held back for one little loaf of bread and one little fish, they would have missed out on 12 baskets of leftovers. And yeah, give God glory for that. And you know, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to ask this question because he's been asking me, what do you have in your hands? What do I have in my hands? You know, this past week, we had a big Easter outreach. Was anyone a part of that Easter outreach? Was, amen. Wasn't that awesome? It was so awesome. It was so incredible. And, um, you know, I was lucky to be a part of a team that went out to Swift Cantrell Park to preach the gospel to people. And uh, I only shared this with Pastor Hunter and, and a few of you. And so is it all right if I'm vulnerable today, guys? Is that okay? Okay, thank you. Thank you. So... You know, speaking about what's in my hands, and uh, you know, this this outreach was coming, and Pastor Liz, with her anointing, she's like, Caleb, I want you to help lead that outreach. Little did she know that when Bree and I started the youth group, you know, back in, in late 2019, God spoke to us and said, you know, at that point there weren't a lot of teenagers in Encounter Church, you know, and and I was like, well, God, why are we going to do a youth group? There's nobody here. It doesn't make sense. I'm going to be the most failed youth pastor in the world. <laughs> like, why are we doing this? But God spoke to me, and he said, Caleb, there's not a need in the church, but there's a need in the harvest. Yes. And so we began to go just buy pizzas, greasy Grand Slam pizza. Praise God for Grand Slam. <laughs> Praise God for Grand Slam. Shannon and Leon had so much Grand Slam. Praise God. So we would get this pizza and we would go to Swift Cantrell to the skate park and we would give out pizza and then we would just get a group of whoever was there together and we would preach the gospel to them. And I had a vision of that at that time. In 2019, I had a vision of me open air preaching at the park. And I knew that God was telling me that I needed to do it. And I pulled at Jonah so hard. I was like, God, that cannot be you because this I'm, yes, I was nervous this morning about speaking in front, uh, in front of you guys, but I am terrified to preach open air with a group of people where half of them don't even want me there, and then the other third of the other half, you know, are going to completely reject what I have to say. It terrifies me. And I'm just being honest with you. I mean, you can qu quote scriptures to me why we should do it, and I, I believe you. <laughs> And I'm going to get there in a second. You're exactly right, but it doesn't negate the reality of my fear and my emotions. I was terrified of, of preaching. So we would have Redbox, Redbox outreaches. Anyone remember Redbox? We would go out to the skate park on a big red box. Somebody would preach the gospel. Every time a red box came up, you know, I was like, man, I know I have to be there. But if I hide in the back and I hold my one-year-old, they won't look at me when they're trying to decide who's going to preach. And then it's like, you know, they would, Aaron, Aaron Macias would get picked. I'm like, yes, praise God. Or, or Matt Breeden would raise, his brother would raise his hand. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. You know, oh, I, I made it, Lord. I, I skated through. I was terrified. It scared me. And then Pastor Liz said, Caleb, I want you to help lead that outreach. And then God spoke to me through this scripture. And he said, Caleb, what's in your hands? There's a gift of, of speaking and preaching. That's in your hands. Will you give it to me? Man, I was like, oh God, no. It's like, Lord, let Pastor Hunter give me back-to-back -back four weeks of preaching in church. That's fine, you know? I, I can do, I'll try my best, but not that, Lord, please. He said, Caleb, what's in your hands? Will you give me all? 
I am by far not the best evangelist in Encounter Church. I am by far not the best preacher. We have an incredible team of preachers here and teachers of the Word of God. But God wasn't looking for perfection. He wasn't looking for the best. He was looking for my obedience. He was asking me to surrender in obedience. And I remember I met with Pastor Hunter for lunch. And I was like, you know, Pastor Hunter is like, we had had, Pastor Sue Yeager was here and she had prayed over me that there was a gift of evangelism being released. And I was like, not that. (laughs) And she taught out of that same scripture, the loaves and fish. I was like, dang, Lord. And I met with Pastor Hunter and I was like, like, does it mean that I'm not supposed to preach if I'm terrified? And he said, no. You're supposed to preach scared. Ah. He asked for my five loaves and my two fish. And I had a choice. Each and every one of us has a choice. When the master says, what do you have? He doesn't micromanage you. He doesn't see you grab five loaves and then pocket one of the loaves and say, well, I caught you. That, that was a quality check. You, you did not pass your audit. He, he doesn't do that. The master trusts us. Jesus trusted the disciples to truly give him everything or, or not to. And man, I was worried that people were going to reject me. <laughs> if you were there, you know some of them did. There were guys that were so upset at what we were doing that we were preaching the gospel. But Encounter Church, I want to tell you this. You know, I, I stood up there at the skate park to, to preach, and God is so kind because he closed my ears. I didn't even notice the people that were chiding us because we were preaching. He closed my ears to them, and five teenagers gave their lives to Jesus. We are not responsible for the fruit in Counter Church. You are not responsible for the fruit. God is the God of the harvest. He is the God who, who makes the plant grow. All we do is water and plant. Sow and water, sow and water, sow and water. But the God of the harvest makes the harvest grow. I want to help you get free like God set me free. You're not responsible for the results. I'm responsible for obedience. What is in your hands? Are we holding on to gifts? Are we holding on to attitudes, thought patterns? Am I holding back from serving? Am I holding on to relationships? Five loaves and two fish. The master wants it all. Only when you give him all, only when I give him all, does he multiply, feed thousands, and take care of us. I was like, man, God, that is a great revelation. Thank you. And then the next day, I read this in Acts. Remember, what's the title of the message? All or nothing, right? Let's take a look at some people who didn't give all they had, and they were left with nothing. Acts 5. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Let me give you a little backstory here, um, just to give some context to the scripture. This is uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. He gave the great commission. He said, wait, tarry in Jerusalem till the promise, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So, you know, Acts, Pentecost happens. You know, the Holy Ghost comes in power. These guys, you know, thousands of people get saved at that very first meeting. And it was awesome. The, the, this revival was being released throughout Jerusalem, throughout Israel. You know, this, this powerful revival is happening. And one of the things that this revival produced was generosity supernatural generosity. There were a lot of needy people at that time in Israel and in Jerusalem. And so the, just the, the community of believers said, you know what, there's so much need. They just began to sell their houses. They began to sell their property. They sold their cars or their donkeys or whatever they had. They just sold it all. And they took the money and they gave it to the apostles and they said, use this money, take care of those people that have less than we do. It was this amazing move of generosity. 
And, and I imagine, like just understanding, I just imagine that Ananias and Sapphira, you know, they get, they get saved in the midst of this revival and then they feel the pull on their hearts to sell all that they had and to give it to the, you know, to give it to the apostles to be used. So let's continue. Um, can we go back to verse one actually, Quinn? Sorry. So, okay. Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Thank you. He brought how much? He brought what? Part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Anyone terrified by that? Yes. Then some, some young men got up, the youth group got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. So Ananias just drops dead. Now Sapphira's coming into the show, and let's find out, does she do what is godly and righteous? She, wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, this was the quality check, this was the audit, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Ananias and Sapphira didn't die because they didn't give all of their money to the apostles. What did Peter say? That was your property to sell or not sell. That was your money to give or not give. They died because they didn't understand the heart of their God and they lied to the Holy Spirit. And it just made me think, you know, I just began to think, well, what was going on in their hearts? Because they felt the calling to give money to the poor, right? But think about that. That decision to give all of that money to the poor, maybe they began to wonder, well, who's going to take care of me? If we sell everything you know, Ananias and Sapphira are having the husband and wife talk. Any, you know, married people have that conversation? Like, hey, let's, let's talk now. We got to get on the same page. They were having the married talk. And, uh, and I just imagine that they were like, man, I really feel like we need to sell our property. But, but what about us? We've got bills. We've got needs. We, we, need, we need food. You know, what, what about us? You know, maybe they didn't trust God to provide for them. He, he spoke to them and asked them for all of their stuff, but maybe they didn't trust him. Or maybe they, they had that attitude I talked about earlier. Maybe they thought, well, you know, yeah, we can give our, you know, some of that stuff, but, but what about us? I mean, we're, we're saved now. Doesn't God want to take care of me? What about my needs? What about my desires? What about my family? I'm a good person, Lord. Let me just hold this back. Let me take care of me. And they were not judged because they only gave part. They were judged because they lied and only gave part. They didn't understand the heart of their God. If God asked you for everything, like the disciples, when they gave him five loaves and two fish, he multiplied it into 12 baskets for all 12 disciples. One measly loaf and one little tiny fish would have done nothing for even one of them. But when they put it all in the master's hands, he fed thousands and took care of them. Yes. 
but they didn't understand the heart of their God. How many times I don't understand the heart of my God? He says, Caleb, I want you to preach, and I've ran away from it. What are they going to think about me? It doesn't matter what they think about me. What if nobody tells them about Jesus? How can they believe if nobody tells them? And how can somebody tell them unless they are sent? It doesn't matter what they think about me. Because if I put it in my master's hands, I know that I know that I know he will provide all that I need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ananias and Sapphira tried to front with God. And it just made me wonder, if they held back some of it, why did they lie about that? And then I began to examine myself. Why do I lie about things? Why, when I was a teenager, did I put on a front? Ananias and Sapphira felt God calling them to radical generosity. They didn't want to lose the prestige. They wanted everyone to see them as radically generous. They wanted to participate in this aspect of revival without truly trusting God. They wanted to be used on their terms and not on God's command. We can't front with God Putting on a show and acting like we are all good is religion. Ananias and Sapphira showed us the, the, the result of religion is death. I pray that none of you drop dead in a moment, that none of us drop dead in a moment. God have mercy. I haven't seen it and I hope to never see it. But the ultimate fruit of religion is death. How easy is it for me to come into church to show you my church self so that you can look at, oh, wow, look at Pastor Caleb and all of his godliness. Like, not that anyone does that. But where is my heart? Because God sees through our performance and he sees to the heart of men and women. It was the, it was the scripture of the day today. The word of God is like a sword and it cuts between bone and marrow between soul and spirit it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires God sees through our front and he sees our heart Ananias and Sapphira were invited to give the master their all what miracle did they miss out on because of their unbelief and their fear would they have, maybe they would have been like Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit and power. What encounter did they miss out on because of disobedience, because they held back and pretended not to? They didn't give their all, and they were left with nothing. We must give God all our life. God doesn't desire any of us to end up like Ananias and Sapphira. Encounter Church, our reality is, the reality of the kingdom is, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not my Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not my Lord at all. And you know, there is no such thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deep t-shirt. Man. Yeah, that's an evangelism t-shirt. There's no such thing as Jesus being our Savior and not our Lord. That's what I experienced as a teenager. I would go to meetings and I would feel God calling me. I would feel the conviction of God upon, my, upon me. I knew he was calling me out. I would see radical Christians and my heart was like, I want to be that person. 
I knew that I was faking it. I knew it wasn't real. I knew that I was lost in religion and I wanted it so bad, but I wanted it without being willing to surrender all. So I would have an, a salvation experience. I would feel good for a day and I would go back to a life of sin, not surrendered to the Lord. And I would backslide and be worse off than before. If he is not my Lord of all, he is not my Lord at all. What qualifies Jesus to be the Savior in the first place is that he is the Lord. You cannot truly, I cannot truly be born again without submitting to the Lordship of the King of Kings, of the Lord of Lords, of the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God that was slain for our sin. Deuteronomy 6 Verses four through five. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with 65% of your heart, with 50% of your soul, and 15% of your strength on a good day. That's what it says, right? And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The reality is if we don't put him first in all, he is not Lord at all. So I, I asked the media team to prepare a slide. This is how I normally think, okay, God, you want to be Lord of all. You need to be priority, right? I put God as priority. Okay. Well, this is the normal way that I view priority. Okay. I, maybe, maybe many of you have seen this before. In sequential order, it's God. Then my family, you know, my wife, Joshi, my son, you know, God first, then I take care of my family, and then it's work. It's, it's, it's the business that I'm a part of. It's, you know, the ministry work that we do, right? It's sequential order. That's God as priority, right? Not quite. This image actually shows us what loving God with all our heart looks like God has the whole pizza he's got the whole pie that's got to be uh, an apple pie though Ooh, warmed up with some vanilla ice cream God gets it all and then he disperses to my family. He disperses my interests. Listen, 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 Encounter Church. If he is not Lord in the way that I operate my business, he is not first in my life. If he is not first in the way that I interact with my spouse, then he is not my Lord. If he does not define how I interact with my son, with, with our children, then he is not the Lord. It's not God first, then my work, because that puts us in a situation where God is the God of my church life, but not the God of my business. Where God is the God of, uh, of my, my church, my Sunday, my Wednesday, and my Thursday night discipleship group. Hallelujah. You should be in a discipleship group. It'll bless you. But then we allow God to be compartmentalized into sections of our lives where other sections are left untapped and untouched. And we live in a dangerous place open and vulnerable to the devil's attacks. Because if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. He is the same God in my ministry as he is the same God as my studies. When I'm at school, do people look at me and they see my homework is excellent? Do they see the way I honor and interact with my teachers is godly? He must be Lord of all. Matthew 10, verse 37 through 39. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your five loaves and two fish, you will find it. 
God deserves my all. Why? Why? God deserves my all, but why? Because of what we celebrated last week. Because of the cross. Jesus paid the Lamb of God, the sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God, paid his life for mine on the cross. Jesus didn't pay a 70% and claim the rest as a full deduction. It was his life for mine, his righteousness for my unrighteousness, his blood for my sin. We thought his punishment was for his own sin, but he was bruised for our iniquity. He was crushed for our transgressions. The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus didn't give 65% of his life for us. He did not die for our church life. He died for us. He alone is worthy of my all. We're about to read one last scripture in two different um, translations. And as I read this, the Holy Spirit, he cut me. Like a surgeon's knife, he exposed my innermost desires and he cut out the tumor. It doesn't feel good, but repentance is good for us. The Spirit of God convicts us of our sin to set us free because the ultimate fruit of religion is death, eternal separation from the Father. So what I want to do is I just want to invite you, you can stay seated for a moment and we'll, we'll do the altar call later and, and we'll respond to what God has spoken today. But I just want to invite you in this moment, just close your eyes. If that's something you're not comfortable with, I want to invite you to do it. Not because there's magic when our eyes are closed. It's because it blots out distractions. And I want you right now, let's allow the word of God to penetrate into our hearts. Let's allow the spirit of God to bring conviction where there are areas that we aren't fully submitted to his lordship where we haven't given him everything. So with every eye closed, even if you want to, to just hold out your hands as a sign of receiving, I just want to invite you, allow this word, this scripture to just minister to you. Even in this atmosphere, Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. Your word cuts us for the purpose of healing us. Your word convicts to lead us into life everlasting with Jesus. James 4, verses 4 through 10 in the message. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. 
quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. And in the Amplified, come close to God and he will come close to you. Recognize that you are sinners. Get your soiled hands clean. Realize that you have been disloyal, wavering individuals with divided interests and purify your hearts of your spiritual adultery. As you draw near to God, be deeply penitent and grieve, even weep over your disloyalty. Let your laughter be turned to grief and your mirth to dejection and heartfelt shame for your sins. Humble yourselves, feeling very insignificant in the presence of the Lord. And He will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your lives significant. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.